0: Hi, I'm Todd Downing, A.C.E., editor of Mrs. America, and you're listening to The Go Creative Show.
1: Hey, everyone. My name is Ben Consoli. I am a director and owner of BC Media Productions, and this is The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. So on today's episode of Go Creative Show, we have a great discussion with the editor of Mrs. America, Todd Downing. We talk a lot about editing, obviously, because he's the editor of the show. But what we really talk about is how you tell a story through editing, which is a valuable lesson for everybody out there, whether you're an editor or not. Uh, Todd does a really good job of explaining his work on Mrs. America, and especially those episodes that have some really unique editing choices, and we get into a lot of those. If you guys watch the series, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the series is so good. It's on FX. The entire series is available now, and you guys certainly should be watching it. Uh, Todd Downing, editor of Mrs. America, coming up in just a couple of minutes. But before we get there, I've got a couple of offers for our Go Creative Show audience. First, OpenReel is offering 10% off by simply mentioning my name, Ben Consoli, or the name of the podcast, Go Creative Show. You're gonna get 10% off, which depending on your plan could be pretty substantial. Now, OpenReel is the system that I use for remote productions with iPhones. And if you've been following me on Instagram, you know that I do a lot of it. So OpenReel is what I've been using and you should too. You get 10% off by mentioning my name or the name of the show. And then also Soundstripe has kind of come out of the woodwork and said that they want to support the show. And we're so thankful that they do. And uh, when you go to gocreativeshow.com forward slash Soundstripe and you use the code gocreativeshow, you get 15% off. And Soundstripe is a really good production music website with some really interesting stuff on there. So you should be checking that out. And today's sponsor is MZ, Education for Creatives. You can find them at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, and we're going to talk a little bit more about them later in the show. All right, we've got so much to dive into, so let's get to it with the editor of Mrs. America and so much more, Todd Downing. So I'm here with Todd Downing, A-C-E, talking about his latest project, Mrs. America. Todd, thank you so much for being on Go Creative Show.
0: Thanks. Good to be here.
1: when you get handed this project, Mrs. America. It's an FX project, mm-hmm. so you know it's going to be a little bit edgy. Um mm-hmm. and it's got such an interesting topic that's so timely and so important. Uh how do you react to this when it gets when it gets handed to you as a as a I guess a potential project at the beginning and then eventually yeah. how did you land the job?
0: Well, the timeliness was a huge attraction like when they Approached me, I was like, "Oh, this is—it was the perfect timing because the, you know, all the momentum for the ERA was coming back in a few states of it being passed again. um, You know, whether that will stick or not is another question. But it seems like it was in the air, you know. And with the Me Too movement happening and everything, it just seemed like a really, you know, and then a largely female cast. You know, even one episode is there's no men at all in it except for background. Um, It just seemed like yeah. yeah, it was just original and timely, and it really, you know. And then you know, Kate Blanchett and Sarah Paulson and Margot Martin and, and Tracy Olman. Like, oh.
1: I mean, it's like <laughs> say everyone. No, say that, no to that. It's, exactly, exactly. Well, how does it? How does it even work for editors? Like, we have a lot of cinematographers on the show. Oh, you. Uh-huh. Everything's falling apart over there, Todd. I, I know. I'm not tech like,
0: savvy. <laughs> That's why I need this. I need my assistant editor here for this. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Well, how does it work for editors? Like, we talk to cinematographers a lot. And they always tell us that they've, they'll create like a lookbook, and they'll give it to the director, and they'll sort of lobby for the job a little bit. How does uh, it work with editors? How how do you like get these projects?
0: Um, I think sometimes it's I'll I'll look at work that the person has done that I'm interviewing with, um, maybe research that you know something like Mrs. America, where it's based on history. You know, you can do a bit of research of that too. I knew a, a bit about it. I grew up in Illinois. Um, downstate Illinois, like a couple hours away from Phyllis Schlafly. <laughs> so I was kind of familiar with that type of Republican woman, you know, that was around, even though I grew up in a very liberal town, like that kind of Republican woman was around. Um, so it just felt a bit familiar to me, that kind of like, you know, polite hate. <laughs> like they're not going to say it out loud. Um, So I guess with Mrs. America, I just sort of, I think I had a bit of knowledge about it already. Um, you know, I knew about Betty Friedan and Gloria Steinem, obviously, and all that. Um, but then, you know, you brush up a little bit before you talk to them. And, um, you know, I didn't have to look, I mean, like I said, and again, the cast, I knew, you know, it's just like, of course, you've seen stuff with all of them in it, too. Well, so no, I, I mean.
1: I understand that you want the job, like who wouldn't want this, but how, how do you like, what is the process to landing these jobs? Like cinematographers Uh, tell us they, they create look books. They go to the director. They have to explain their vision for something. Um, uh, for an editor, what is that process like? Is it, does an agent sort of get this job for you or do you have to go and sort of Pitch yourself to the directors or the production companies. How does it work?
0: I they actually tracked me down because a couple of the execs really liked Russian Doll, yeah, which I edited the year before. Um, so they came to me, and which was great. Um, you know, it's kind of like wow, this you know, it doesn't really happen that often, but it was great that it did. Um, and I guess I don't do. It's not like making a lookbook or this is. I mean, you talk about what you like. And when I met with Davi, the creator, it's like you just talk about what you like in editing and what styles of editing you like and what you think would be good for this. Um, I, you know, I, it's nothing that I'm like. Oh, here's my plan. I'm going to go in and land this job. It's just I think I'm just pretty honest about this is my taste and this is what I like to do. And then if it matches, you know great. You can get the job, but it's not like I have this bullet point things. I have to tick off, you know what I mean? Of, or, or bring any sort of sample worker, you know what I mean? It's just, I think it's more just, this is me and this is what I like. And then do you jive or not? Because you spend a lot of time with them in the edit, you know what I mean? You kind of have to get along.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And a lot of it is personality too. Like you just, you need to, and I think that's probably the same for all crew members. You don't want, you don't want to put together a crew that with people that you've, Can't stand. I mean, that's just not. It's not going to work. But there is an intimate connection between the editor and the creators of the show, the director. I mean, you're right there, sitting next to them for hours and hours.
0: Yeah, you kind of become there. Not this show, not so much. But I've had other shows where you you're sort of their therapist at some point. Like they start telling you about. (laughs) They're in there for so long, and they start telling you their relationship problems or whatever. Um. (laughs) So you know, it's. I think that's part of the job too, is listening. You know,
1: it's fun. <laughs> how do you describe your, your, um, I guess sensibilities with editing you had mentioned before you you're honest with them. You just kind of tell them, what are you into? What do you like? What are your, what's your style? How, yeah. how, how would you describe those things?
0: Um, I, I think I, my big thing is not leaning on score a lot. I think that's when I, I don't like, I'd be, shows or films that are scored wall to wall. is just like the biggest turnoff. It just makes me fall asleep. You know, I just tune out. So I think for me is trying to get it to work without music. I always do a pass without music first, just to try and you get it. And then when you add the music, it's just icing on the cake rather than supporting all the things you couldn't make work in the edit. So I think it's part of that. I know when I met with Davi, we talked a lot about like seventies films. Like I'm really into American seventies Altman stuff like that. And and so was she, and we just, you know, we just had this, I think a lot of times when I get a job is when you, you just start talking about films that you like. And if the showrunner likes the same films, it, it, it tends to, t- it tends to work.
1: <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah that's usually. What-
1: it's interesting to hear you say that you like putting together an edit without music first, because I'm doing a yeah. Sopranos rewatch right now. And the first time, oh, okay. the first time I watched it, I, I loved it. I mean, it's it's a great series, but it was so long ago. Like I wasn't even really working in the industry that much when when I was watching it the first time. Watching oh. it the second time, I'm going through the first few episodes of season one, and I'm like, there's no music. Like it yeah. I, it it like just became clear. I'm like, oh my God, there is no score in this yeah. show. And it I have I'm, I'm season five right now, there is just no score. There's obviously sound design in there's songs. Yeah. You know, the, the creators put music like actual songs in there, but they're it's not a score. And I didn't really notice that the first time. And I think that is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons, of course, acting and script writing and blah, blah, blah. But that is one of the reasons that make it feel so real. And I think the same is true for Mrs. America. Like you are so drawn into the dialogue and the acting when you're not Mm -hmm. being constantly told how to feel through music. It, it's yeah. a it's a unique take. Now, I mean, I love shows and movies that are filled with score too. I mean, it is what it is. But there's something really pure about pulling that out, and I I think yeah. that's just a, a really interesting point that you make and a style that I think people don't they don't necessarily recognize that. I think you always feel like you need to have a score.
0: Yeah, I think one of my I don't have many rules, but one of my rules is don't score dialogue. Like, if two people are talking, like let it you know it's just gonna. I don't know. For me, that always ruins. And and like you, like, like The Sopranos. My favorite show of last year was The Deuce, which also has no score.
1: Oh, I haven't seen I, that yet. It's
0: amazing. But, but his use of source is incredible. So you still have songs, and you still have the emotions coming with these. You know, there's stuff in bars and nightclubs, and and on the streets of New York City in the '70s. So there's tons of music, but there's no score. And I just mm-hmm. think that's so. Genius. I just love that. You know. And I love these, like, you know, pretentious European films, too, where it's just, like, dry through the whole thing. <laughs> That's, you know, most of the place I can. That's my favorite, you know. It's just nothing at all. They're not going to give anything to me.
1: <laughs> for the people that aren't familiar with Mrs. America, can you just sort of give us a little bit of a um, synopsis of what the show is about?
0: Uh, sure, yeah. It's um, basically about the fight for the Equal Rights Amendment, which would codify in the Constitution that women and men had the same rights which is kind of shocking that we don't have that. Um, and about, so it was on its way to passing with flying colors, Every, even Republicans, everybody was passing it. And then this woman named Phyllis Schlafly, is, who came out of the woodwork and she had her little, she was kind of like Breitbart or something like that. She had her, maybe not as big, but she had her like mailing list. It was like the seventies version of that, where she'd have mailed stuff out of right-wing stuff, um, came out to stop it. Basically, and organized, and she's kind of responsible for organizing the religious right in the in the US. Um, you know, there's because Jesse Helms makes an appearance, um, Dick Cheney, you know, all these people, there's all these that's one of my favorite things about it, is all these characters we know from now who just pop through, walking through, you know, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort. Um, so she kind of made it into or it was part of the reason why that became such a force in American politics. And then also it had Followed the feminists as well that were pushing against it you know
1: now have you worked with the show's creator davi waller before Am I, I don't know if no. i'm saying the last name right so this is the first time yeah
0: yeah yeah that's the first time yeah i knew one of the writers one of the writers is a is a friend of mine um so but actually he wasn't in the edit so it, it was pretty much everybody in that i worked with in the edit was was new but I don't know. We had, you know, I I liked them all. It was like, it was a nice, it was when we edited for so long, I think it was about nine, eight months or something like that, that like, you know, it was kind of weird when, and then COVID, COVID stopped the edit (laughs) and like, we all stopped and we all separated. So it was kind of strange that like, we never really had a goodbye or anything like that. (laughs) We're just like zooming with each other. Uh,
1: So Um, what episode had, I guess, where in the process were you before COVID hit? or
0: um, I guess as COVID hit is better. I think we had locked pick for everything. I'm not sure about the, the finale. I'm not sure if nine had a locked pick, but like I was did, we did the. I did episode six, and we had to do color and sound remotely for episode six, seven, eight, and nine. Mm. Um, and it didn't work too badly, actually. You know, it was uh, the the mixing was actually was fine. The color is a bit weird because everyone has different monitors, and you're like judging off these different yes. pieces. Like, doesn't really make any sense. But also sound, like I'm listening to it on my laptop, some was listening to on headphones, you know, but we got there. And I think, you know, I think, you know, the, they sound good. So I'm happy. We, I mean, we had very talented sound editor that we had like Oliver Stone's sound editor and Quentin Tarantino's sound mixer. And so it was kind of a high bar already.
1: (laughs) That's a really good point because when people are working remotely, you have no control over what their monitors are, um, their audio monitors or their video monitors. You just is what it is.
0: Yeah, there were a few surprises when I watched it on Hulu, <laughs> but nothing terrible. I was just like, oh, it's a little different than what we heard. But.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, I would love to know. I mean, can you pinpoint something specifically that you saw and you were like, oh, I, I wasn't expecting that or I that that's kind of an interesting thought to me, because other than you no longer have that central source for mm. the way it sounds and the way it looks, it's now kind of up to. It's not up to interpretation, but the comments are coming from people who are not looking at the same monitor as you. Yeah. I mean, I
0: don't think it was anything. It was not a very interesting story. I think it was just like, like, oh, that music was supposed to pump more. You know what I mean? Okay.
1: So just Little just details.
0: Like like, oh, there's a line that we never heard. You know, there's nothing. It
1: <laughs> there wasn't a line. Starbucks cup just hanging out on a That's, table?
0: No. I kind of think we don't have any. We don't have, I, haven't, I haven't spotted any mistakes like that. Someone told me the books in the background of Phyllis's shelf might have been the wrong year or something like, I, I haven't noticed it. There's nothing like a Starbucks cup.
1: <laughs> do you ever get like comments on your projects from, I mean, do do angry fans email you as the editor for any project you worked on complaining about some completely insignificant background nonsense that just irks them and they have to let you know.
0: Friends, not fans. Too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've had stuff too. I've, I've done a lot of documentary and I remember a friend of mine, and now that everything's streaming and you can pause and go back, like, you know, you're doing driving shots. Like they're driving across the country to go somewhere else. And he's like, you passed that sign twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Or you're going the wrong direction. Like somewhere, you know, where he was from. So he realized right away. So there's stuff like that, but nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think that's about it. It's, mo- it's mostly people telling me like my location stuff and, and documentaries are wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about your... The, the different types of projects you've worked on because yeah. just in the past few years, Smilf, Russian doll, frontline and Mrs. Mm. America. I mean, these are all very yeah. different types all and styles. Map. Yeah. Of editing. Yeah. And I think I love and the fact
0: people before that, which is like slapstick.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you're, you're all over the map. You're everything from yeah. serious drama to, um, comedy, to documentary. Um, and that's a little bit unusual. I think what what Very. you see more of is people just, I, I hate even to say pigeonhole because I don't know if, I don't think it's that, but I think people develop an expertise in a certain category and then they just get a lot of work in that category. You've yeah. been able to sort of play with all sorts of genres. And I, I, I'd like to know a little bit more as to how you sort of crafted that in your career and also yeah. what the benefits are to being able to play in so many playgrounds.
0: Well, I would definitely use the word pigeonholed because I think that's that, You know, that did happen to me at the beginning. Um, what happened was I did. I started as making like these kind of weird short films, which were kind of funny and like more art world stuff, like with grants and everything, back in the nine, late '90s, early 2000s. Um, which kind of had a comic. So I had a little bit of a comic reputation from those. Then I moved to London in 2003, I think, and couldn't make any more of those. Couldn't get a grant for the life of me. And started just editing on the side. And I just somehow fell into like these documentaries that were all just like, I just became like the depressing documentary guy, like children, like being adopted and returned, soldiers with PTSD, ISIS, like just everything that was like big and depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but then someone in, in New York, remember this showrunner remembered me from my, that I had like this sort of a little bit of a comedy background. And he was the showrunner of Difficult People. So he wanted me to do it because he thought I could do comedy well. And I think it was when Hulu first started. And I think they actually pushed against hiring me. They're like, why do you want this guy with all this doc stuff? But then he stuck by me. And I think they were new enough. They're like, okay, whatever. And then it just took off. So then all of a sudden I had this dual track of like comedy in the US and serious doc in in London. And it just kind of went from there. And then like I did, then I got to... Um, like Russian Doll and Smilf and stuff, like, and Smilf was is you know kind of that drama, comedy thing. So I think that helps a little bit with me getting into drama more. So it was just kind of this amorphous, just spread out, and I just you know, and I think it's great because now that there's no scripted, I've gone back to I'm, I've cut a doc, cut a front line, you know, on COVID of course, um, recently, and I'm doing another documentary now that's going to take me to the end of the summer. So it's kind of great that I had that to as experience as well, so I can work <laughs> well everything's shut down uh, no.
1: i mean i think the obvious benefits to doing a bunch of things is that you constantly are honing your skills um yeah uh, anything else that you can think of that is maybe a not so obvious benefit of being able to do so many different styles
0: it kind of keeps you I, I don't know i just like the way you bring one to the other you know what i mean like when i'm cutting something about like isis kidnapping yazidi women for being sex slaves like. I actually still look for the funny parts. You know what I mean? Not that there are a lot, but there'll be weird moments of like the sort of like free Syrian army, like there's some, see these rebels or something doing something really funny. And like, I I don't know. I find those moments. Um, and I think in comedy too, I can find the moments that are sensitive, you know, and kind of make people a bit more, you know, ground the characters and, and, and and be closer to them, you know, feel, feel the realness. I think I know how to find out of the, that stuff too. So I think they feed each other. I think it's, you know, it's great to do both that way. In that way,
1: I'm sure there's a lot to this answer and I don't mean to mm. go down like huge rabbit hole, but I am a little bit interested okay. how you would, like, how would you describe what what skills you need to be a good comedy editor and then mm. also apply that same question to a good, you know, maybe dramatic editor or documentary editor? Like, what are the yeah. skills that you need?
0: I think out of comedy, drama, documentary, time, comedy, obviously timing is like the mo- by far the most important. And I remember Scott King, the guy who hired me for Hulu, and he brought me over to Smith as well. Um, I learned so much from him. He used to run Mad TV too. And like, he oh. was just, you know, telling me all these like, don't cut on a joke, you know, just all these just like kind of simple comedy rules, which you can also break or just picking up, you know, taking out air and stuff to make stuff funny. I feel like, uh, yeah, comedy is really, is probably the most difficult out of them. Mo- well, besides well, documentary, you need to know how to write a bit too, because you don't have a script. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> Go back.
1: No, stay, stay yeah, on, com- stay on comedy. And and I am interested. Yeah. I want to talk about documentary too, but for, yeah. let's just stay on comedy for a second. You're talking yeah, about yeah. obviously timing. You'd mentioned something yeah. about not cutting on the joke. What do you mean by that?
0: like I remember cutting something for Scott once and it was like there was something funny I don't know it's probably something like I mean just I can't remember exactly what it was but say somebody fell and that was the joke of them tripping or falling over something slapsticky kind of thing and like I cut right as they fall cuz in in like doc or drama you would kind of cut on the movement to give it this thing and he's like no 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 don't do that let them you know let them do it and they act you know and it's true it's like don't in the middle or if someone's saying a line and the punch in, let them say the whole line. Don't cut right before the punchline. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? It kind of, and you know, some, obviously there's always exceptions to the rule, but I think he's right. I think there's something about just staying on them, you know, to let them do the joke.
1: That makes sense because the instinct is to cut, like in the case of the person falling, the instinct is to cut on the action, but the action you need, you need it to finish in order to really get the joke. That makes sense. He's
0: funny. Yeah. So yeah, I learned a lot. Scott is amazing. Scott King. He's like, I learned a lot from him actually. I think out of editing with anybody, he was just, he's very, cause he's really good with story too. So he can get the, he can rearrange. Like that was the thing I, that was great with him. And what my doc helped too, is like, sometimes difficult people, we would rearrange the, the scenes and re, almost like rewrite certain things if they weren't funny enough in the edit. And he, you know, he's just great at like, put this here, put this here. And like, yeah, it's just, I, I think that's, that opens your mind in comedy of having that doc uh, openness to just move things around because there's no, there were never any place in the first place, you know? So you have the freedom just to move anything anywhere.
1: Did you ever watch Portlandia? Oh yeah. I I, I really feel like Portlandia is like a masterclass in comedy editing. Like th- it's yeah. so crazy. It's the strangest yeah. editing pattern and the rhythm is so weird, but yeah, it's hilarious. Every That's time I, I honestly I, I, I think i think about. the I, I honestly think the editing makes that show strong the it's It's a strong show, it's a funny show, but I think the editing uh-huh. makes some concepts that otherwise would just be like, okay, yeah, turn into really hilarious pieces like that to me, for yeah. some reason, is just such a bizarre yeah. <laughs> I don't know who is editing that show, but it is it is very strange and very funny.
0: Yeah. No, I, I think there's, it's true. It's like editing is like, you can just kill comedy with editing way more than like drama. I think you're leaning on the actors and the writers more and in comedy. I mean, of course you, they have to be a good comic and good, good jokes, but you can just kill it. If you don't, if you don't time it right, you just, you just, it's not funny. You know,
1: let's apply the same question to documentary. Um, uh-huh. what are the skills you need to have to be a great documentary editor?
0: I feel like definitely you have to understand Narrative in writing because you can just get all over the place, you know. If if you just start putting this in and that, you know, it, it just can go off tangent so easily. And I think really having a focused straight line that goes through the the, the doc, you know, to find out what that is is the most important thing. And and don't and find out how to make that straight line with the fewest words possible in a way. Do you know what I mean? It's like this, I think you really have to just be very minimalist in, in the storytelling um, for that. So I think there's that, uh, but I think also, but even for doc comedy and, and, and uh, and drama, I think you have to understand like other stuff. Like you have to understand writing for all of them. You kind of have to understand art for all of like what looks good. You know what I mean? What shot you're going to hang on because it's actually, Looks like a painting or something like that. You know, I think you have to just get out of just your world, your references and your inspirations being just film and TV. You know, I think it has to be a bit uh, hol- uh, holistic.
1: <laughs> yeah, if
0: that makes sense. Yeah.
1: This idea of being a writer or having writing mm-hmm. experience when you're um, editing a documentary—it's interesting yeah. to me because I've always really wondered when people are getting when people are editing documentary. Are you truly just handed a hard drive and they're like, here you go. Make something out of it.
0: I have been, <laughs> I definitely have been, I've been given a hard drive. I mean, like come back to me in three months. Um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I've worked with other doc directors who, who want to be in the edit with you all day, every day. This guy named James Jones, I worked with a lot in London. He does a lot of great stuff. Um, he's very much like, he wants to watch everything with you, like, you know, I've worked with other people who are li- literally just like, get back to me when you have a rough cut.
1: Wow. Yeah. You know? so, so you're pulling, it's, it's I mean, a you're pressure. You're making <laughs> the story in those, in those instances. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Some, yeah, a lot. I, yeah. I mean, not totally because they filmed it and they picked the story, you know what I mean? Stuff, of course. But yeah, you're definitely, yeah.
1: It, in the case of frontline, more of an episodic thing, um, just to highlight that, cause you've done a bunch of episodes for, for that show. And that show is fantastic. Um, yeah. In those cases, how does it usually work? That
0: frontline's a little bit different than other docs. Cause there's usually a very quick turn. Like the last one I did, I think there were four editors on wow. because they usually have, you know, and they cut an hour. We did an hour in four weeks or something like that. Finished it in four weeks. Um, so it's usually much more there. The directors are much more like, this is what we're doing. Cause there's really no time to waste. I've worked on a couple that are a bit more observational, docky, verite feeling kind of thing, but they're usually very much like, this is what we're saying. This is what we're doing, you know, and then you have room within that to sort of make it a bit more artistic and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, there, there's not a lot of let's explore and find the story kind of stuff with front. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You
1: know? Well, I can't, I mean, I, with that sort of deadline and timeline, I mean, how, how can it be? I mean, you can lose yourself in this footage for months. Yeah. I mean that's it. They
0: do give you t- like they're great with like if you're if something is going well, they do extend stuff and push stuff if they're like, "Oh, this is going to be great" cuz they're really they re- like, they appreciate craft there. You know what I mean? And they, and they let it go. Like they let you go over. They're not like, "Okay, we're done. Just get it on the you know, yeah. they never do that. Um they're always like pushing for it to be the best." So Well, you it's can nice tell.
1: To- with the I mean the quality of the show, you can really tell. So that yeah. That must be that must be really fun for you just loving documentary working yeah. on a show like that.
0: It is. It's intense. I mean, the COVID, the COVID thing I did, it was like, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm doing, we're doing, I was editing here, I think two people were editing in London and then like the producer was in Italy. It was just like, we were all over the place. But like, you know, the whole thing was taking off. I'm hearing all the sirens outside and looking at all the ductile. It was like, it was pretty intense to kind of work on that. while shit was hitting the fan.
1: <laughs> now, th- this is the one, Inside Italy's COVID War was the title of yeah. it, right? Yeah. So I haven't seen that one, but I definitely yeah. going to because I'm interested in the topic and it's a great show, but uh, were you in like, I guess were you living in, in the U S during this time, or was this also where you were in London? Yeah,
0: yeah. but I was in, I was in the U S but the, the frontline thing kind of came from London because they do a lot of co-productions with the BBC. So okay. I was working on a BBC show there and they did a co-pro with uh and frontline picked it up for the U S. Um, and so that's how I first started with them. So it's weirdly, Frontline has a lot of stuff. A lot of their international stuff is done out of London.
1: Yeah. I, I'm just looking at the uh, your IMDb uh, for Frontline. Oh. Inside Italy's COVID <laughs> war, escaping ISIS, Syria's uh, yeah, second front, uh, children of Aleppo, and secret state of North Korea. I mean, you really run the gamut <laughs> with your topics.
0: <laughs> I know. It's, yeah, it's kind of intense. <laughs> The ISIS ones were really, you know, watching ISIS videos of them decapitating people and stuff like, you know, for days on end is not is, yeah, probably not the healthiest thing for your head. So I I actually stepped away from Doc a little bit after that because I was like, oh, my God, give me Hulu. I mean, give me difficult people. (laughs) I just want to do something funny (laughs) and ridiculous.
1: (laughs) Let's take a quick break and talk about MZ. Now, MZ is Education for Creatives, and it's exactly who we are here at Go Creative Show. Now, think about this. It offers hours, hundreds of hours of high-quality video-based education for filmmakers that covers directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling, and more. If you go to gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ, M-Z-E-D, you get a chance to check out exactly what I'm talking about, and you should. Now, they just put out a new course that is perfect for this episode because we're talking about editing. They've got Tom Cross doing a whole course on the art and technique of film editing, which is huge. Now, if you guys don't know who Tom Cross is, you should because he was the editor of La La Land, Whiplash, First Man, and more. So he certainly knows what he's talking about. And wouldn't you want to learn from the best? Yes, that's what MZ is all about. Now, Tom Cross is just one of many educators. They've got Vincent LaFerre, Shane Herlbert, Philip Bloom. The Ari Academy is there too. And if you become an MZ Pro member, you have access to hundreds and hundreds of hours of filmmaking education, all there in your subscription. So that's what you should be doing. But first, you've got to go to the website and check it out for yourself over at gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ. <laughs> I want to circle back to Mrs. America and talk, let's walk me through kind of the way you, uh, you prepare for a show like this. Uh-huh. How how does the process begin?
0: You mean prepare before I'm in the edit or yeah, prepare like with footage?
1: Uh, pr- just what is the process like when you, you begin the project, you're starting, this is your first day on the job. What does that first day look like?
0: Um... I'm very, I, I want to watch everything. You know what I mean? I'm very meticulous with notes. I watch every take with every angle and I put like and mark down which, you know, things that I like, which I go back to later and I'm like, why the hell did I mark that <laughs> kind of thing? But I, you know, I just want to very, I just want to watch everything first before I start cutting and documentary as well. I do that. But um, Mrs. America was, it was pretty stand, you know, it wasn't like, I mean, there was not a lot of improv. It was, it was very scripted. They, you know, the actors were all hitting their line, lo- you know, there wasn't a lot of fixing, you know what I mean? So it was kind of, or trying to make things work because everything, everyone was very knew exactly what they were doing. So it was kind of great because in that way you could just, you're already at this level and all you have to do is bring it up to there, you know? Um, so it was a lot about acting, you know what I mean? About finding performance and what, you know, what tracks best with performance and, and stuff like that.
1: Did you get any notes from the director or showrunner about which takes they liked and wanted?
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we went there was a lot of what I mean, especially at the beginning. I think there was a lot of like, who are these? And I think that's with every show. It's a lot of like, who are these people who, you know, um, uh, you know, how big it's the, the whole grounded versus performance, performative kind of. Thing, you know what i mean where you have to kind of find the right balance of it being you know because like tracy Ullman is hilarious Then she can be really big but sometimes you want to but she you know she gave it to us so it was fine kate blanchett on the other hand just is incredible and she knows exactly what she's just like does the exact same performance every time and like that's what she's like directing it herself you know? wow <laughs> like, this is it boom julianne moore was like that too she did a guest appearance once on difficult people and it was like every take she was like This is she decided what she was doing and she did it and like, okay. (laughs) so that must be
1: kind of fun watching these actors give you varying performances. I I mean, in cases when they Uh, don't, obviously, too, but like just to see the ones that are too much, like going to these, you know, classic, amazing actresses and being like and looking at their performances and be like, no, I don't like that one. I like that one. I I don't like that one.
0: (laughs) It's kind of incredible. Yeah, you're kind of like, I don't know. It's not so I mean, I don't think I've ever said Kate's not so good in the scene with her. There actually really wasn't ever. A, no, I don't like that one with her or with Tracy Ullman or Sarah Paulson, actually. Um, they're just, they're such pros. With other stuff, there's definitely, you know, other shows I've been on. There's definitely sometimes a lot of work to be done to. I think I talked to Dobby about that a lot when I interviewed with her. It was about, I was like, half of editing is fixing acting. <laughs> you know, it can really be like trying to, you know, not on Mrs. America. It didn't happen.
1: That's Russia. right. Mrs. America was flawless <laughs> from start to finish, every single performance. Um, okay, so you are y- you like to see everything. So you're ingesting footage, you're watching it all. Can you talk to me about the way that you work with your assistant editors and uh-huh. um, just to kind of set up your projects?
0: Well, um, Lily, uh, this woman named Lily Janney, she was my sa- assistant for Russian Doll and Mrs. America. And she um, she's just like, she's a am- She has like a history degree from Yale. So she's like super brilliant <laughs> and she's very meticulous, doesn't forget anything. So, and I forget everything I'm completely absent-minded. So it's kind of amazing to work with her. So she has, she scripts everything and you know, puts in the script sync and everything like that. And, um, sometimes she's assembled stuff for me. She's kind of, she's cut some stuff too now. So she's kind of a junior editor in other worlds. Um, so I'm trying to think it's like, it's, and I also lean on her when I when I have a cut done. Like I, the first person I ask to watch it is Lily. You know, what I mean, I have her come in the room and be like, "What do you think?" Because I totally trust her to see, and she'll remember. You know, she has a remember something that like I did that I forgot about, or you know, and she's seen all the takes more meticulously than I have because she's logged them all too. She's like, yeah. "Oh, what about this?" So I, I mean, it's great when you have an assistant like that. You know, that you can. I've had other assistants where it's just like they just do the stuff, hand it to you, and like maybe you don't. Know, you know, maybe you don't really have the same taste about things. So, but it's when you have one that you have the same taste with and you trust, it's like incredible. Bad news is, like, she'll probably move on and become an editor soon. So, I'll <laughs> have to find another
1: one. That's what happens. What is their assistant <laughs> editor responsible for?
0: Um, organize, uh, logging all the footage, making sure all the takes are labeled correctly, doing the scripts. So, when you um, script sync, so when you click on the, the line, it goes to the different takes, um, exporting, outputs. Lily also, she does, uh, she's good at after effects. So she'll do, if we need little small after effects fixes and stuff, mm-hmm. they, I think that's a good assistant editors have to, if they do after effects, they'll work all the time. <laughs> um, and then says so she does sound work for me too, like finding sound effects and building some background stuff. Yeah.
1: Uh, we have a question from Twitter from Jaden Marvel, uh, wants to know oh. what is a scene in this series that you are particularly proud of and how did you cut it?
0: Um, I think in episode eight, when Sarah Paulson's character, Alice, ha- takes the Christian pill and is drunk.
1: You got an time. Emmy consideration for that one.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see, we'll see what happens. But um, that was amazing to cut. It was like, and the director is this woman named Junix um, who had this film Zola at uh, Sundance last year, who's an amazing director. Her stuff is always just a little bit. She did the Juneteenth episode for Atlanta also. So her stuff, she's always like, the one to do the artsy ones, I think. Um, so it was just working with her and, and and getting the scene without it trying to be too trippy and being like, oh my God, you know, I'm on acid kind of thing and, and having just really be with her of what it feels like to be on some weird pill for the first time in like enemy territory, you know, hmm. um, and also be in, in, intrigued by it all too. So I think that was my favorite because you could do anything too with it. You could move the scenes. Like there was no, it wasn't narrative. So like, you could move the cuts around, you could put weird jump cuts in, you could play with the sound, which I love to do a lot um yeah that was I think that was definitely my favorite uh,
1: Can you describe the scene and describe the decisions that you made to you mm. know make it what it is
0: so Sarah paulson's character is uh anti she's a like christian y anti e r a person and she meets a a woman at the bar who gives her a pill to take you know to make her feel better and so she takes it because she calls it a christian pill and then slowly it's just like so she we never really say what the pill is but it's it's obviously affecting her um strongly <laughs> so she kind of just it sort of overwhelms her and she, she walks through this like women's conference where there's like a lesbian uh therapy scream session or like a kung fu like a, a women's self-defense thing and you know abortion people brag you know uh talking about abortion and so it's, it's her walking through this world while fucked up on drugs for the first time, basically. Um, so yeah, it was trying to get, and and she's kind of intrigued by it all. She kind of is, it it kind of awakens her. So that's, yeah.
1: So, so you need to, so you need to basically create this experience for her in the edit. Yeah.
0: yeah. Can
1: you talk to us about some of the decisions that were made and why?
0: Um, a lot of it was, uh, like I said, we didn't want to make it, we didn't want to put effects in to make it like, oh, here's a bunch of trails, you know what I mean, to make it look like that. You wanted to be with her a bit. You didn't want to just make it about the editing. You kind of wanted to stay with her on this journey. So we did a lot with sound. You know, it was kind of taking out certain sounds, putting in certain sounds. Like all of a sudden we have like in the walla like some people speaking Polish or something. You know what I mean? It was just kind of make things off a little bit, or there'd be a jump cut that's kind of, not a flashy one though, you know, one that's just like, oh, there's something just shifted a bit. Um, and and not and not letting scenes complete. I think it was also like really cutting into the scene. Um, so it was like glimpse. So it's kind of like these glimpses of reality, you know what I mean, that, that she's going through.
1: What do those types of decisions do for the audience? Like those odd jump cuts and sounds that aren't supposed to be there. Like what what is how our audiences affected by those decisions?
0: I think you just clue that, like I said, we didn't want them to be very flashy and I don't think they are, you know, it's not like whiz bang kind of weirdo stuff. It was, uh, you just want it to be off. You don't want them to stay with the character and to be off. So they know something is, is. so they go with the character, like something's wrong, you know, or different or changed and and not um, without like, you know, like we were talking about with music before without leading them like, yeah. by the nose, you know. Um, yeah, I think it's essential to really get the audience to feel a little bit on, un- like, keep the keep the show and make it still be part of the show, but, like, something, some, you know, the floor is kind of pulled out, the rug's pulled out from under you a little bit.
1: And I think also yeah. that this particular scene is a departure from the pace and the style of the show already. Um, yeah. By design, it has to be. But mm-hmm. can you talk to me about the pace and the style that you've sort of created in the edit? I mean, that's that's a decision that definitely comes through editing is how how is the series paced out? What's the feel of it? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it, you know, Uh, those types of decisions, I think come obviously from the director and the showrunner too, but those are things that you feel because of edit decisions. And I'd like to talk to you about that. Like what, how would you describe the pace of Mrs. America and how did you achieve it? Um, I think since the
0: actors were so top notch, it was kind of, you could actually, the pace could be of editing, not really the pace of the show, but the pace of the cuts, um, if that makes sense. You could stay on them longer. You know what I mean? It's like you can stay on Kate Blanchett's face for five minutes. I mean, where there's that one shot in episode six where she's in the confessional. Mm. Just one shot of her for two and a half minutes talking to a priest. Um, so I think when you have actors like that, it's great, like you can, the pace can slow down because you're still engaged without trying to, you know, manufacture something. I think you can always tell when, not always, I think people lean on it otherwise, but like when things are really quickly cut, a lot of times it's because there's problems, I think, (laughs) with story or acting and you've been moving stuff around. So I think that with Mrs. America, it was, we could be a little bit leisurely with, and let let performances play out and stay in two shots of just two people talking to each other, you know, um, for a long time. That said, you know there's quite a bit of comedy in it as well, so there there was opportunity to sort of like do a little, you know, more comic style editing where it's a bit punchier. You know,
1: I love scenes that just sort of linger on the on the actor. Yeah. And I it, mean, that it, was like I'm, I'm sorry, I was going to
0: say one of my favorite things in in the thing is is when uh, Elizabeth Banks' character and and Kate Blanchett are sitting at the bar in Six, and they're talking about like American defense policy for like five minutes or something, something, you know, it's something insane. It's like, but the actors are so good in the writing, you know, that like, you can just sit, you, you're like, totally engaged. I think that, that's what I love about this show is like, you could just sit with them and really just make it feel real, you know?
1: Yeah. It, it allows you to, I don't know. I mean, the performance obviously has to be there or else there's no engagement yeah. at all, but, no. but the decision to end the scene or to cut that shot does need to be made. And how are yeah. you like, what are the things that you're looking for? are do you are you just really hypersensitive to boredom? like do you do you just are uh, you always thinking like, is the audience bored here? Am I bored here? Like, how do you make that decision that the shot is done?
0: I'm not sure if boredom's one of my big priorities uh, that I think about consciously. I think it's just if it has I mean, you have I, I don't know. it's kind of like one of those things I can't really put into words. It's just kind of where, you know, ingrained in like, does this, does this have a rhythm? Does it work? Like my mom is a musician. So I think maybe I have some sort of rhythmic quality in me, even though I don't play anything anymore. Um, But I think there's something about that where I know I I just have an instinct for me. I think of when to do stuff, but speaking of boredom too, when Alice is on the phone with her mom, when right after she first takes that Christian pill, do you remember that shot? It's like a really long shot of her, like reading a recipe I was a little bit worried about that at the beginning because I was like, oh, is that going to be too boring? Because just, she's just talking about a recipe and breaking down. And Janixa was like, no, it's great that it's boring. It's like, this is what's going to clue. I thought it was such a genius thing. And I'll always remember this. Like, this is what's going to clue the audience in that, like, something's like, why are they sitting on the shot for way too long? And it's a way to sort of do that. And I'm so glad. I mean, she only shot that one shot. So there was no cutaways anyways. <laughs> There's no <laughs> options, which is genius of her. Um, But it was like, yeah, it was great. So sometimes boredom you can put to, you know, you can make work to your advantage.
1: A little while ago, we were talking about you making decisions on which takes you're going to use. And obviously, I mean, we know that the director also makes decisions and everybody, I'm sure, is giving their opinions. But what is something that you look for when you're choosing between takes?
0: Oh, God. I mean, that's a huge question. Yeah. (laughs) It all depends on the character and the story. You know what I mean? It's, I guess it has to fit the characters the most. It depends. I'm like, I, thinking about like Russian Doll and like our first pass at that. We sort of had two versions of the first of the pilots. One with Natasha Leone being really like Natasha Lyonne and, you know, like really big and kind of boisterous, like the way people love her for. Her. And then we tried one like maybe we'll do one toned down and stuff like that because people are like always worried about being grounded and I think usually going grounded is a thing, but with that, it was like no, it's like let's give them Natasha Leone. You know what I mean? That's what they came here for, and and she's so good at it. So, so I think it's like also what is it's just what's right for the person. You know what I mean? I don't think it's never the same thing. Whereas like with other people, with other actors, it's like you always want to go for the grounded one. You don't want to go for them going too big. You know. That, but,
1: that's interesting. So your your decisions are being based on well you're essentially creating these characters or not creating mm-hmm. them but you know what i mean you're you're building these characters and then your decisions are made based on is this a realistic uh I- is this a realistic performance for this character in this moment of the story
0: yeah and it's not none of these decisions are in isolation you know what i mean it's like there's so many like what is coming after it what is coming before what is the music what's playing in the background what you know there's so many, I, so that's why I think it's just, there's never an answer for what why you're choosing one thing because there's like eight other variables you're trying to match as well.
1: We had the editor for, um, or one of the editors for RuPaul's Drag Race a few episodes ago. Oh. Yeah. <clears throat> her name was Molly Shock. And uh-huh. part of what we talked about a lot of is collaborating with other editors because she had to make decisions in her you know episode Based on things that she hadn't even seen yet, because if she was up doing episode, you know, one, three, five and you know, nine, whatever, she's not seen the other episodes and she's making decisions without necessarily knowing what was going on prior. Do you run into situations like that on a show like Mrs. America if you're collaborating with other editors or do you really need to be linear in the way that you uh, edit this? Because like you just said, every decision is based on where we are in the story.
0: Yeah, no, we were definitely like we would screen for each other with um, uh, with uh, with the other editors all the time. Like we you know it was so even on like an editor's like a early rough cut or anything. It was just to see what was going on, you know. And, and there was a few times I remember were a few times I changed some performances. Like it's like, oh, in episode seven, she her performance was like this. So episode six is a little bit too similar. So we, I, I went back and changed some things. So. Yeah, we were very collaborative in watching each other's stuff. You, you kind of had to be.
1: How many people edited this show? Three. Yeah. And were you, uh, I what? I guess, which episodes were you responsible for? I did three, I was going to do three, six,
0: and nine, and then something with the schedule change where I had to shoot nine before eight. Um, so I ended up doing eight. So three, six, and eight. And I'm kind of glad I got eight because it was the, you know, it was the special episode. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: And, like, do you have to lobby for a particular episodes? Do you look at the scripts and you think, all right, I want this one. I want that one. Like, how does that work?
0: I sort of like, I really wanted to do the finale. And I remember when it, when they, when it just wasn't going to work, ti- you know, timing wise, like the execs called me and they were like, being, I'm sorry. You know, and it, it was like, it was, the, you know, cause you're kind of like, you always want to do the the pilot or the finale. But then sometimes, you know, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago and the guy was like, no, the penultimate episode is always the best episode. <laughs> and I think, I don't know. I think it was for Mrs. America. I mean, it was just like, it was a great thing to do because I was like, you know, they brought Janixa in and it was just like, there was no men in it. It was just like, it had so many original things to it. That And, and Sarah Paulson is in every single scene. Wow. So it was kind of great to do something like that where you're just, it's, com- you know, completely different. And, and you do, you know, you can lobby for episodes, but sometimes, you know, there's schedules and you just, you know, things
1: happen. <laughs> <laughs> the reality hits. In yeah. our la- in our last few minutes, I want to talk about kind of the end stages of any editing project and any project, I guess, okay. in total. Talk to me about your relationship with the colorist, um, sound uh, mixer. Like, what happens when you're essentially done and then you sort of hand your baby off to the next steps?
0: Um, they... Color, I don't I mean, I try, I'm really into the color, but I try and stay out of it because the DP is usually there and there's like all these cooks in the kitchen with it. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It's not like the battle that I always fight for is is sound. Like that's so important. It's half the, you know, it's half the show. So it's so important to me. And I do a lot of sound work when I send it to them and I'm quite particular and stuff. Um, I had a Amazing relationship with the sound people on Mrs. America, Scott Gersh, like I said, he's like Oliver Stone's guy or yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and he, he's just so talented, you know what I mean? And just, and you know, I'd build these whole entire scenes and he's like, why don't we just take all the sound out? And I was like, oh, that's kind of G. And it works so well, you know what I mean? He's so, um, and this, it, it, and usually it's time whether you can be there for all the mixes and playbacks and stuff like that. It's like whether you've gone to another job or not. And luckily this one, there was time. So it was. We were, I was really involved with it and very happy with what, what, what they did. It was great,
1: yeah. In your experience, have the sound mixers and colorists sort of taken your cues or do they usually strip it all away of everything that you've done and put uh, their own spin on it?
0: Sometimes, I mean, I think the... The traditional way is to do that: strip everything away and put their own thing in. But now, editors, I think over the past five years or so, editors have been doing so much more sound work themselves. And because the network kind of expects a sound design a bit when they get the cut, they give notes on sound. Mm. Now, you know what I mean. Where before they'd be like, "Oh, do, that'll be in the mix," but now, like, they give notes to the edit about sound. So you have to be a good, a decent sound editor. So now they don't. People are so attached to what you did that actually they don't strip. It it out as completely as much as they used to, you know what I mean? It's like, they kind of keep a lot of the ones that you'd like, Oh, I like the sound of the fire in that. I like that. I like that door slam and that, you know, they kind of, it's you, you, we've, we've been doing more sound editing, I think as editors than we used to. Yeah.
1: And I want to end our conversation with, um maybe some advice for editors out there that are listening to the show that would love to be in your position and wondering uh-huh. how the hell do I get there? Like what what can an editor <laughs> what can an editor do? I mean, obviously production is crazy right now. Um hasn't even really begun anywhere. Um and if so, I mean, I know commercial work's happening but very limited and I don't think anything's going on with, you know, TV shows and movies yet. Um no. uh, So editing is kind of the the last and only field that can stay alive right now because people can mm. do it from home. Um, what do you say to these people that are at home? They love editing and they're trying to make this their career.
0: Um, I think you mean like how, how should they do it now? Or what Advice, advice for normal? them.
1: I mean, I'm saying in the context of now, meaning people have more time generally, right. they're home, they're yeah. honing their skills in editing. And uh. Uh, what what do you say to those editors that, you know, that really want to make this their career? Where, where do they go? How does it start?
0: I think, I mean, also, I mean, weirdly, I would say don't focus on editing so much. Like, like it's, you know, go to, like, look at art. Look, let's watch films from other countries or old films or read books. You know what I mean? Understand all mm-hmm. this other stuff. Learn about acting. I think all, once you learn all that other stuff in the, like there's, you can have so many people can learn the, that program and like, you know, gets their own kind of whatever style I guess but then it's the bigger decisions that like what's this show about what's this you know that that I think really will put you over the top is when you can talk when you can have this dialogue about acting or about filmmaking from the past with these showrunners I think that's or writing and like what works narratively I think you know honing those skills is just as important as learning how to use the avid properly hmm. you know?
1: that, that's a good point That's a really good point. I I think a lot of people think of editing as more of a utilitarian, like, I put this clip in front of that clip, when it really is the art of storytelling.
0: Yeah, there's so much more, to, and music, too, understanding music, you know what I mean, and rhythm and stuff like that, I think is another, you know, there's there's a lot of of aspects to it, (laughs) other than just knowing the equipment.
1: Well, the show is called Mrs. America. It's on FX, and all episodes are streaming now. Todd Downing, ACE, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences.
0: Thank you. It's been great.
1: Want to thank todd downing for coming on the go creative show and sharing his experiences editing mrs america on fx right now so you should check it out for yourself of course i want to thank our behind the scenes team that make the show happen matt russell who mixes and masters and makes the show sound so good you can find him on uh you can find him at gainstructure.com and on twitter at gainstructure and of course, our producer, Connor Crosby, you can find him at IgnitionVisuals.com and on social Ignition Visuals. And of course, follow me at Ben Consoli to see everything that I'm doing behind the scenes and all of my remote production that I've been doing lately. So there's a lot there. People have been interested in what I'm doing there. And um, our sponsor, MZ, Education for Creatives. Check them out at GoCreativeShow.com forward slash MZ and all things Go Creative Show, of course, are at gocreativeshow.com. You could subscribe to us there. You could follow our social media and make sure that you never miss an episode. So we'll see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.